0: Welcome to Religion for Life, a program at the intersection of religion, social justice, and public life. My name is John Shuck. I'm the minister of the First Presbyterian Church of Elizabethton, Tennessee. Our webpage is fpcelizabethton.org. You can find more information about this radio program at religionforlife.com. We are in the midst of a series on the future of faith, or the future of religion, We are looking at this question from a variety of perspectives, and we are getting the insights from a variety of thinkers. And today we have an interesting thinker, an atheist. My guest is Dr. Daniel Dennett. He is the Austin B. Fletcher Professor of Philosophy university professor and co-director of the Center for Cognitive Studies at Tufts University. In 2012, he was awarded the Erasmus Prize, an annual award for a person who has made an exceptional contribution to European culture, society, or social science, quote, for his ability to translate the cultural significance of science and technology to a broad audience, end quote. Dr. Dennett has published numerous articles and books. Most noted are Breaking the Spell, in 2007, about the um, religion as a natural phenomenon. Darwin's Dangerous Idea in 1996 about evolutionary theory and consciousness explained in 1992 about consciousness in the light of modern neuroscience. Daniel Dennett, along with Linda Lascola, published in 2010 an article... Preachers Who Are Not Believers, based on research of clergy who no longer believe in the doctrines of their churches. There are a number of videos and TED Talks featuring Dr. Dennett on topics from consciousness to free will to religion and more. Links to those can be found at religionforlife.com. Daniel Dennett, along with Richard Dawkins, Sam Harris, and the late Christopher Hitchens have been called the New Atheists. They all came out with books about atheism and religion right around the same time from a number of perspectives. Dr. Dennett is on, uh, the, uh, on Skype with me from his home in North Andover, Massachusetts. Welcome, Dr. Dennett, to Religion for Life.
1: I'm glad to be with you, John.
0: Congratulations first of all on being awarded the Erasmus Prize. This is a huge honor. Can can you tell us a little bit about that prize and perhaps what was the contribution to knowledge that you provided that gave you the nod?
1: Well, every year the Dutch government gives a prize usually to somebody in the arts or in in academia um and uh, it's been given for oh I guess 50 years anyway. And uh, this year they were, were, they concentrate each year in a certain area, and it was uh, for uh, contributions in explaining science to the lay public and uh, and similar topics, and they chose me. And it was a delightful occasion. We uh, were flown, my whole family was flown over to uh, Amsterdam, and the award was presented by uh, the crown prince and the queen. Uh, had tea with us beforehand. The whole thing took place in the Royal Palace. Uh, a very, a very thrilling week for
0: us. Again, congratulations for that for that honor and for and thank you for your work uh, in that field. You are part of my future of faith series, uh, or also I sometimes call it the future of religion. Uh, and your perspective is going to be important to this. Uh, perhaps you can help me with some terms before we get started. They all seem really slippery. Uh, how do you define religion and God and atheism?
1: I think a good way of defining religions is as social systems whose participants. A vowed belief in a supernatural agent or agents whose approval is to be sought. So it, if there isn't a supernatural agent, if there isn't a god or gods, then I don't think it's a religion. It may be a wonderful thing in some other way, but it's not a religion.
0: So say like the Unitarian Universalist Church uh, might not necessarily be under your definition technically religion.
1: Well, um, I'm glad you should raise that. I I don't know whether to call it a religion or a former religion. Um, uh, You know, people say that dinosaurs have gone extinct, but in one sense that's not true. Every bird and every tree is a direct descendant of dinosaurs. They morphed from their uh, big scary uh, shapes into much more interesting flying shapes. Not all of them fly, of course. Um, And what I think we're seeing happening right now in front of our eyes, is that the religions of yore and of today are morphing, many of them, some of them, into institutions which drop one feature or another. And when they drop belief in supernatural agents, then I no longer want to call call them religions, but they're they're they can be uh, as we were, honorary religions, if you like. They are the descendants of religions in the same way that birds are descended from dinosaurs.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. I can see a lot of uh, progressive, uh, uh, perhaps self-described progressive religions, kind of moving in that direction.
1: And I think it's a I think it's a move very much to be respected and encouraged. Um, I think that there are roles that religions have played in the past that they should continue to play in the future, or something should play those roles, and I'm quite happy for it to be the descendants of religions that play those roles. They just have to give up some of the problematic features, and then uh, I, I wouldn't call them religions anymore, but, but uh, 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 what we call them isn't as important as what they do.
0: Well, what are some of those problematic features of religion uh, that that you've noticed that we ought to uh, be critical about?
1: Well, um, the very idea of suspending reason and suspending a uh, a concern for good old hard reality and facts, and uh, requiring people either to declare or actually to try to come to believe in something supernatural something that is uh uh fundamentally irrational i think that's um, a uh, a self-damaging requirement i think that uh, ties people's hands in a way that shouldn't be tied uh i appreciate that it has some uh, effects which might be valuable to the solidarity and success of a religion but it's not, a good, it's not a good thing for religion—it's uh, not a good thing for an institution to have. And we see on every side the way it can be abused and the problems that it leads to.
0: Well, I'm wondering about uh, God, and, 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 and that, that's a, a slippery term— it seems it seems to be that uh, the religions of old uh, and, and, and certainly current ones uh, you th- see God in a supernatural way, um, perhaps modern ones might use the term but th- think of it as just a kind of a, a symbol for value or, or something like that do you Do you find that to be a, a puzzler and, and and what I was thinking about with this and you talk about the spell of religion and sometimes it seems that this ambiguity toward how God is understood is part of the survival of Um, this understand or the survival of God, or the survival of religion?
1: Well, no doubt. The word God, because it's uh, such a loaded word, because it's such an honorific, you might say, uh, because saying you don't believe in God has such terrible implications and connotations for Mm -hmm. many people. uh, No secret as to why people would start Shifting their definition of God around so that they could still go on saying they believe in God. I appreciate that. It starts with the idea that whatever God is, it's the most wonderful, wonderful thing possible. And so, as long as you believe that there's something wonderful, 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 then call it God and you can say you're not an atheist. Well, uh, I had fun with a right wing radio talk show host, uh, not unlike you, but right wing and very literal. And he grilled me on this. And he said, uh, uh, you mean you don't believe in some transcendent force that governs the whole universe and that is enables everything that we do and everything we can experience? I said, no, no, I believe in that. I do. And he says, you do? I say, yeah. I call it gravity. <laughs> now, <laughs> uh, I don't think that makes me a theist. Uh, I'm very grateful for gravity. I, uh, no point in uh, thanking gravity because it's not an agent, but it certainly makes life possible, and we're we're very happy. I'm very happy for one that the law of gravity reigns supreme over the universe.
0: Well, there are people who often who I read my my uh, progressive religious colleagues and whatnot who will, who will write about you and and perhaps uh, Richard Dawkins and others and say that you're fundamentalist atheists and I'm not sure exactly what they mean by that and and uh, I I don't know if you've heard that before what do you um that doesn't I think what they're saying is that you've that they don't believe in the God you don't believe in either but they're not really giving you a definition of God uh, to be able to deal with
1: well. A fundamentalist is a good term of abuse in most quarters, right? Uh, and so it's it's a bit amusing for um, religious people to uh, to use that term, uh, uh, and, and it's typically not the fundamentalists, <laughs> not fundamentalist Christians that use that term to talk about us, um, uh, and and I think that uh, uh, setting aside the uh, deliberately derogatory implications of that term. Uh, The only way that could be true is if a fundamentalist atheist is simply somebody who doesn't politely button his lip and never mention religion uh, uh, in a way that might embarrass anybody. Mm -hmm. Most of the world's atheists fall in that category. They quietly go about their lives they are atheists through and through, but they just don't talk about it. They don't uh, make a point, an issue of it at any point in their lives. Uh, so those are uh, those are the non-fundamentalist atheists. They are the the super quiet majority of atheists. Uh, and then there's some of us who did that for years and then decided, uh, well, no, that's not good enough. Um, it's high time that people realize just how many atheists there are and realize it's a perfectly respectable position. Some of your best friends are atheists. You may not realize it. And it's time for us just not to go out and scream at people, and we don't, but just candidly acknowledge, yeah, we're atheists. Of course we are. So we're a lot of your neighbors. And uh, make it clear why we're atheists and why we're not impressed with the arguments and reasons they've given for not declaring their atheism.
0: It's almost as though it's a a taboo topic. It's just something that's embarrassing that you don't ask people at dinner or something like that. You know, looking a little bit behind the curtain at what we mean when we use the word God or when we practice our religion. And what I understand your work and the work of Richard Dawkins and others is saying, no, we need to open up this curtain and see what's under there.
1: Uh, that's a, that was exactly the main point of my book, is that it's too important for us to hide behind uh, what is really an outdated idea of politeness. Now, it's true, um, and I was pleased to see a website now that features a, a poster with this quote from me. There's just no polite way to ask somebody if they've ever considered that they may have devoted their life uh, to uh, a folly. <laughs> Sometimes you got to say, wait a minute. Have you just given that any thought? And uh, when you say that, of course, it's tremendously uh, uh, upsetting to people. It it strikes terror in their hearts sometimes, and they rather wish you hadn't said it. But um, sometimes the circumstances warrant our saying that.
0: I've been since I've read your work since I first heard of you and, and Richard Dawkins and Sam Harris and those who have uh, spoken out I've off, I've thought automatically that it's a natural ally between what you're doing and those who might be progressive religion or educated religious people and and I I think that there's a there's a natural connection here to be on uh, to to work together toward Toward education, and I find it and I find it distressing to tell you the truth, but that that there seems to be between progressive religion and and you, you good folks, uh, sometimes a barrier. And it, it seems to me that there there is yeah. a possibility of working together on this.
1: Yeah, um, yes, I think I think there is a, a tension there, and it's one that um, I see myself all the time. In a way, just the. Uh, differences of, of strategic uh, hunches and, and understanding. Uh, how uh, how firm do you want to be? Uh, how diplomatic can we be? Mm-hmm. And different strokes for different folks. I mean, there's uh, people that uh, uh, I find too accommodationist, too. I think they are still hyper respectful of things that do not deserve their respect or mine Mm -hmm. Uh, and uh, uh, so I guess I put myself in the middle Uh, uh, Richard Dawkins and I have often uh, uh, talked about the I'm an atheist but crowd and there's a lot of people who will tell us uh, in private and in public uh, they say well I'm an atheist but uh, what you folks are doing is, is too strident well uh, I always want to look each one of those charges calmly in the eye and say exactly which parts did you find offensive and why. Uh, if if we'd been talking about uh, problems in uh, big pharmaceutical or in in uh, uh, Wall Street or big oil, would you have found our uh, uh, rhetorical? level too, too harsh, level, well then, why should we treat religion uh, with more kid gloves than that? Now, well, sometimes there's an answer to that. Sometimes we should treat various things with, with kid gloves, I'm um, uh, not uh, in favor of uh, uh, rubbing people's noses in the uh, falsehoods of a lot of their myths but I do want to make them available
0: to them. My guest is Dr. Daniel Dennett. He's the author of a number of books, including Breaking the Spell, uh, Religion as a Natural Phenomenon, that was published in 2007. And he's my guest on Religion for Life. And we're talking about uh, religion, and you approach religion from an evolutionary perspective. Uh, what's, What's your best understanding now of how do you think religion developed? Well,
1: I think religion developed first as a sort of a side effect uh, of some perfectly natural and in their own way good adaptations of human psychology Uh, it starts with with a feature that we share with with uh, most animals certainly mammals and birds uh, and that is when something complicated and surprising moves in our vicinity our immediate hair trigger reaction is, who's there? Who did that? Not just, what's that, but who's that? This uh, disposition, this habit, this reflex of assuming that there's an agent out there, just in case there is, is a very good mechanism for an organism to have, because sometimes there is a who other. Sometimes it's somebody who wants to do you harm, or it's a friend, or maybe somebody to mate with. Uh, it may be supper coming close to you, or it may be somebody who wants you to be supper. In any case, having the question of whether or not this is this is an agent with an agenda in the in the vicinity is it's always a good question to ask when you're surprised. So that's something we share with animals, but animals don't have language; they don't have minds like ours. And so when when your dog responds with a heightened alertness and growling when when a sudden noise uh, surprises him, after a few minutes he settles down. But we go on chewing on it in our heads, and we mull it over and and reflect on it, and pretty soon we've elaborated our anxiety, especially if there's nobody there, uh, uh, into an invisible ghost or sprite or goblin or, or some some fantastical creature, maybe good, maybe bad. And we share stories about these, and pretty soon the whole village uh, knows that uh, you saw a a forest gremlin out in the forest yesterday. Well, that's what the story becomes because it's more interesting, more exciting. And before you know it, your whole community is uh, populated with a bunch of stories of interesting supernatural creatures, agents, always agents. Uh, That sets off a sort of competition, an arms race. The ones that survive, the most interesting of those, the ones that are unforgettable, the ones that capture people's imagination, uh, stay around for generations. And it's folklore, but uh, it can easily turn into, those turn into gods. Uh, that protect us or that harm us, and then monotheism grows out of that. I think that 's the pretty clear that that's that 's the uh the sort of family tree of all god concepts
0: is that we give agency to things that move we think there 's an intelligence behind those things, and then that uh, as an explanation for things that happen
1: yep and Whenever we can't find a real, earthly agent responsible for the ruckus, whatever it is, we find it satisfying, comforting, intriguing to postulate an invisible or semi-visible or currently invisible agent. And before we know it, we've got a population explosion of these invisible agents. Then monotheism is really just a pruning of that population explosion. Uh, that 's the historical record on that's quite clear the move from polytheism to monotheism takes centuries, and of course there's still uh, large pockets of polytheism even in the in the uh, traditional uh, major mainstream religions um, Hinduism and for that matter christianity has has saints and angels and ghosts and uh uh, and uh, a God that is either one or three, depending on how you consider it. So I think the uh, biological, psychological roots of all of these concepts is nothing particularly puzzling about that. We don't need to postulate any miracles to explain how people could come to believe all this.
0: And this is also related, I'm thinking of uh, our loved ones who pass on and thinking that they are, are somehow still in communication with us. And that is a very powerful uh, effect uh, on people, too, uh, that idea that, um, I mean, people are very committed to that, that, that their relatives are still surviving in some form or another. Without, is that also related to the same concept, then, of agency?
1: Oh, yeah. I think I think the two go together perfectly. It um, uh, takes... Uh, strong person stronger man than i to tell a small child whose parent or whose dog has died that that's just the end of it uh it's so much more consoling to think that there's a heaven where the departed ones are watching us still and uh it's something that consoles children and i don't think there's any harm in that but i think we have to outgrow it and uh I think most of us do, but once you're an adult and you start reflecting on what heaven would actually be like, uh, the harder you think about it, I think the more you realize that any conception of heaven that you come across turns out on careful analysis to be not such a great place after all. Um, uh, I don't know uh, if I really want to spend an eternity with even my closest friends. Uh, I hate to think what that would do to our friendship. Um, uh, and eternity is a long time.
0: Another aspect of religion is that it seems to have captured the corner on, on morality. I'm thinking uh, just this past week when um, the governor of Arkansas uh, and Baptist minister Mike Huckabee said that the problem with the Newtown, Connecticut was that God was taken out of the schools. Now I'm, I'm thinking he couldn't have meant that literally, but he's talking about that the, the belief in God is somehow so important.
1: No, I think I think that's the most pernicious falsehood that's spread by religions and about religions. And I think um, Huckabee should be ashamed mm-hmm. of saying that uh, uh, on the air. I think uh, that was a truly shameful act. And uh, for Fox News, I guess it was, to carry it, they should be ashamed of that as well. Um, uh, it's very clear that... Morality does not require God, has never required God. If you look at the history of morality, you see it's people. People getting together and talking it over and thinking it through. People have always been the vanguard. They've always been the the force that has heightened morality, improved morality. Nobody would want to live with Old Testament morality these days. Uh, it, many aspects of it were vicious and barbaric and we would have no part of it and it wasn't the churches that led the uh, the reforms that give us the more or less accepted morality of today it was people resisting the traditions of their churches and improving on them and I think that we all know uh, people who are not churchgoers who are not religiously affiliated in any way who lead not just blameless lives but really magnificent lives. They accomplish a lot and help a lot of other people. Uh, there's just no doubt about it that morality is, is not necessary in any way, shape, or form. Um, and religion is not necessary in any way, shape, or form for morality. That said, I do think there's this that can be said. It's always when you're around other people that you have affection for and that you have respect for, this brings out the best in all of us. Mm -hmm. With a little help from our friends, we can do things that we can't do if we're too solitary. And I think the idea of community and the idea of making sure that people in general have a community of others around them whose, whose respect and affection they get and and appreciate and want to preserve. This makes better people of us all. Uh, It doesn't require any supernatural belief, but it does require community.
0: Dr. Daniel Dennett, my guest on Religion for Life. That's all the time we have this week, but uh, we will continue our conversation next week. Thank you for being with me today.
1: Oh, you're very welcome.
0: Be sure to join us next week for the second half of this conversation with Dr. Daniel Dennett. You've been listening to Religion for Life, a program at the intersection of religion, social justice, and public life. My name is John Schuck. I'm the minister of the First Presbyterian Church of Elizabethton, Tennessee. You can find information about my congregation at www.fpcelizabethton.org. More information about this program, including links to podcasts, as well as information about other programs and articles, sermons, all kinds of wonderful things can be found at religionforlife.com. That is religionforlife.com. You can also follow Religion for Life on Facebook, Twitter, and download podcasts from iTunes. Religion for Life is co-produced by WETS-FM and WETS-HD1, Johnson City, Tennessee and W E H C F M Emory Virginia. Be well.